Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, the extraordinary high-tech science of genome testing. It's not just happening behind the scenes, it's leading the news. Scientists are using genome sequencing as part of the ongoing efforts to trace the source of the latest COVID-19 outbreak in Auckland. Genome testing has revealed a COVID-positive maintenance worker at Ridges Hotel is not linked to the Auckland cluster. Genome sequencing shows the second wave of COVID-19 affecting Auckland is likely to have come from Australia or the United Kingdom. Two genome detectives explain how they're helping to crack open the new COVID cluster to stop its spread and how science has never worked so rapidly. You know, to be honest, it's never really happened around the world before. Um, During the Ebola virus outbreak in West Africa in 2014, I think it was about a year before someone bothered to sequence the first genome of Ebola virus. And I think since then, you know, the technology now exists to be able to do this really rapidly, but also um, how important and vital genomics is in part of the response and what information it can give us has really been recognised. So um, around the world now, this real-time genomic sequencing is happening. I'm talking to Gemma Geegan at Otago University. Viral evolution is her speciality. Normally, she splits her time between her laboratory and her office, but not right now. On this project to sequence the genomes of New Zealand's positive cases, we're working collaboratively with ESR in Wellington. So I work with the team sequencing the genomes actually in the laboratory in Wellington. And so they receive the samples there and I get access to the the data that once the samples have been sequenced. And so I work on my computer most of the time on this. And I do really feel like I'm interrupting such important work because you are actually right now trying to find the source of this latest outbreak? That's right. So we're um, sequencing the genomes of all the positive cases that um, are referred to ESR. And from that, we can compare the genomes from the current outbreak to ones that have been tested positive in managed isolation facilities. And then we can also compare them with the genomes that have been sequenced from all around the world. And currently there is a massive global effort to sequence genomes of coronavirus from positive patients. Everything is happening very quickly, I guess, to keep pace with the rate of the infections. By January 13th, less than a week after it was identified, scientists in Shanghai had mapped out the entire genetic sequence of a virus sample collected from a patient. Compare that with the SARS virus, which started infecting people in November 2002. It took until April 2003 before that virus was sequenced in its entirety. Researchers say the speed has been unprecedented. And that information is being shared publicly all around the world. So it really helps us in our efforts to try and track down this source. I feel like I I need to go back to the absolute basics because the interesting thing about this and and maybe this latest outbreak in particular is that genome sequencing, those two words, have almost become part of our everyday language. So genome sequencing is generating a whole genome of the virus from a positive COVID-19 sample. So after a COVID-19 test, which basically it gathers the saliva from the back of the nose and throat, after that returns a positive result, the swab goes through several steps to separate the genetic material from the mucus stuff that's gathered. And so that can be captured and read and 
how it's read is basically on a computer and and then we can compare them to each other and to other genomes from around the world. This is what we know about the new infection in New Zealand. Let's look at the latest outbreak. At 2.30pm last Tuesday, the first positive result of the community cluster comes in. At 9.15pm, the Prime Minister breaks the bad news to the country. After 102 days, we have our first cases of COVID-19 outside of a managed isolation or quarantine facility in New Zealand. Twelve hours later, ESR scientists in Wellington are starting to work on the newest genome puzzle. This is mission control for scientists tracing COVID-19's footsteps. This is the coronavirus and inside it is ribonucleic acid, RNA. That's like our DNA. Now scientists at the ESR and University of Otago have taken that RNA out of the samples from the four cases and are breaking it down into a very complicated genome sequence. We did receive that sample on overnight shipment. So on the next morning, we actually started the process of extracting the viral genome and then reading the viral genome. Meet Yup Delict, Head of Bioinformatics at ESR in Wellington. He and Gigan are co-leaders in a year-long project that's been given $600,000 from the government's COVID-19 Innovation Acceleration Fund. Now, their aim is to generate virus genomes from all of New Zealand's confirmed positive cases. They're working on an app that the public can use that tracks and explains the spread of the virus. And it's this information that's feeding into the interventions such as quarantine, travel restrictions and border closures. And that's also used to show up transmission hotspots in the community. But back to Yerp Delete at ESR and the lab testing. We try to get the sample to us before we start work here so that we can pull all those samples together. Uh, because it's more efficient if we can do uh, multiple samples at once rather than if we would receive samples throughout the day and have to restart the process for each of them. Can you explain yep. to someone who has really no idea of how this works, what you act, how you get started on it? So if it is a swab that is sent over, we first extract the RNA material, which means that you break up the viral particles and neutralise them so they are no longer infectious and then extract the genetic material out of it. Um, Once we have that RNA, we translate that to what we call cDNA, which means that it's changing one of the bases so that it's in a DNA form, which is slightly more stable for us to work with. And that is a process called reverse transcriptase. And then we actually also start to selectively get the virus out. So one of the things that has been developed is a set of sort of sticky pieces that stick to the virus, but not to anything else, because in such a swab, there might also be human material or bacterial material, and we only want to look at the virus. So then we spent a couple of hours just selecting the virus out. That's a lot to absorb, but the team's day in the laboratory isn't over yet. Gemma Geegan says the work is pretty tedious. You have to be extremely accurate and careful with the genomic material to generate the genome. And then we have um, big fancy machines that do the really hard work for us. High-powered cameras read the virus's genetic material, revealing where it's come from. Once we have a whole lot of copies of the virus that was present in the person, and specifically the virus and nothing else, 
we then prepare that for the sequencing machine. So there's a couple of steps where we have to make sure that the machine can properly handle all those sticky bits that we copied. We call those adapters. And we also add a little barcode to it so that afterwards when we read the material, we know which virus belongs to which sample. So we can do up to 12 of those barcodes in one of those rapid runs or 24 in one of the slightly slower runs. So that's then combining that, and that then goes on to the sequencing machine. And it looks a bit like a printer cartridge, and the machine it goes into actually looks a bit like a printer as well. Mm. But that cartridge actually contains thousands of little pores, and the DNA flows through those pores. And if it, as it is flowing through that pore, we measure a current. And that current is then translated back into the actual letters of the genome that were seen. And because it's an electrical signal, we can um, look at the data as it is coming through. And that is why we can already, after one hour of sequencing, can typically say something useful about that particular virus, because we can immediately start analyzing that data. And those pieces that we see, we can start comparing them back to the family tree. So by the end of the day, this genome has a name. B111. Now, the virus is split into two main lineages, which are called A and B. And we think that A was the first lineage to emerge when the virus first jumped from wildlife into humans, probably late last year. And then quite early in the outbreak, it seemed to have split um, just because of the mutations that have risen. So um, there are now A's and B's, and each of those groups have sort of sub-lineages that go on. So that's how they're named. And so each time um, a positive case from this particular outbreak is identified, what do you do with that information? Yeah, so um, once a positive test comes back, the ESR receive that sample for genomic sequencing. And once we been able to generate that genome, we look at it to make sure that it belongs to this cluster, for example. We see whether or not there are any links to the quarantine facilities every time the new sample comes from there. And we also keep an eye on any new genomic information that is coming from around the world to see if there is a close genetic match from overseas. Contact tracing and genomic testing has not found a link to the border or managed isolation and quarantine facilities at this stage. Extensive testing and contact tracing has since determined that the earliest case we have found to date was a worker at the Americold Cool Store in Mount Wellington who became sick on approximately the 31st of July. What do you know so far about this one? So what we do know is that this particular lineage, which is causing the outbreak in Auckland, is most frequent in places, particularly in England and other places in Europe, although the lineage has been found in many other countries, including Australia. The sequence of the virus from the current outbreak is not the same as the sequences from community cases in our first original outbreak in New Zealand. 
This suggests this is not a case of the virus being dormant or of a burning ember in our community. It appears to be new to New Zealand. The most frequent um, place that this this particular lineage is found is England. In fact, 90% of, of genomes belong to this lineage that are from England. Now, we have to be careful when we interpret that data because um, England in particular have had a huge sampling and sequencing effort and they've done incredibly well at sequencing most of the genomes from their positive cases and sharing that data publicly. However, it means that they're probably overrepresented in the data. So um, there are probably a lot of countries which aren't contributing to the genomes, um, the databases. So, you know, they'll be missed. Does that mean then that this particular strain is most likely to have come from England? Um it probably has some genetic relatives in England and its sort of ancestors are most likely there, if not around that area. However, we don't know the immediate origin of this lineage yet because the samples that have been sequenced in England are not from the immediate origin of this sample. So oh, I see. So it could have come from England but travelled through other countries before coming to New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. And um, unfortunately, that those genomes probably haven't been sequenced. So it's really hard to piece together that puzzle at the moment. It indicates that there are uh, very few mutations um, between that very common strand in Australia and, and the UK and the one that we're dealing with in New Zealand, which means it hasn't passed through a great number of people in order to infect this particular cluster we're dealing with. So that's the insight that the genome sequencing can give us. I agree that we might never know the actual source of this outbreak because it is relying on how good the data is. And um, although we're doing a good effort to sequence all the genomes in New Zealand, not every country it is taking that approach. The developments, like you say, it's moving so quickly. Is that kind of exciting for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess the silver lining of dealing with a global health crisis is that it, it happens to be in my exact area of research interest. So, you know, for years now, I've been studying how viruses jump from animals into humans and how they spread between humans and how they move through time and space and how they evolve and so this is it's really extraordinary to be to be involved in living through this time. You have been working on this you know right from the beginning here in New Zealand and you've just recently published a, a paper about the first wave of cases. What does that say? From the first wave if you like which was from the end of February which was the first confirmed case to the sort of mid-end of May, which was the last case unassociated with the managed quarantine facilities, um, we were able to generate the genomes um, in collaboration with the ESR of 56% of all the confirmed cases during that time. And we found quite interesting results. So despite the remoteness of New Zealand, the virus was imported um, many times from all over the world. And this actually generated a lot of genetic diversity of the viruses and it represented nearly all of the global virus population. And what can you do with that actual information? 
So these data really help us to quantify the effectiveness of public health interventions in particular. So, for example, we can look at the big clusters that happened in New Zealand and estimate things like the transmission rate. So we can see that, for example, when we look at New Zealand's largest cluster, which is otherwise known as the bluff wedding cluster, um, we can look at the um, reproduction number. So that's the basically it's a rate of transmission. And at the very beginning of the outbreak, that was about seven. And so that means that on average, an infected person transmits to seven other people. And then all of those seven people transmits onwards to another seven people. So a reproductive number of seven is extremely high and um, not really what you want. But then by the first week of lockdown, we saw that number drop to 0.2. So um, that means that lockdown really worked and it's very effective. So anyone who says that lockdown is a waste of time needs to just maybe read your paper. <laughs> yes, our data um, certainly suggests that lockdown is effective. So another finding from that data, in fact, was that we looked at um, the number of introductions into New Zealand that resulted in transmission. And um, we only we found that only 19% of the virus introductions into New Zealand resulted in a transmission lineage of more than one additional case. So that also suggests that um, the intervention measures were effective. This work is happening at, at a pace that really has never happened before for scientists. So how have you been able to work this quickly? Yeah, so one of the important things is that um, way back when the first report started coming in about this virus, we already started looking into how we could do this in a rapid way so that we could actually help inform the response. Um, so we actually reached out to the ministry, started talking about genome sequencing, and we also applied for some additional funding from the MB project to support some of the things that we needed to do. Because apart from setting up the technological procedures and the lab procedures, we also needed to bring in some dedicated equipment. So the sequencer I spoke about was specifically brought in for this response because it can do this so rapidly. Mm. It can do it much more rapidly than the sequencers that we had available prior to that. And we also brought in some robotics to automate uh, some of the steps so that we could do higher volumes. So we got on board really early. And the other thing that was really strong in that is that we were able to reach out to some of our colleagues in the international network that have been doing this sort of testing, not at this scale, but the same principles in Africa and South America on Ebola and Zika. And they have developed a lot of the thinking and protocols of how you can do this well. And we already started talking to them and we got their protocols and we got some of their material, which meant that even when we had the very first case of the virus entering New Zealand back in February, feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. Um, two days later, we actually had the first proof of concept of our protocol and uh, of the type of sequencing that we wanted to use. And we could show that that was concordant with the travel history that that person had had. So that was the sort of the first proof of concept. And since then, we've been working on refining that so that we can do samples rapidly at volume because 
we didn't know how bad it was going to be. Um, luckily, we did very well in the first wave, but there was always that risk of that second wave. So we just kept pushing that boundary to upscale people, um, get the right gear in place and to be ready. How many people are actually working on it, on the genome sequencing here in New Zealand? Um, so the, the sequencing happens mostly at ESR, and that's a team of five people. And we have very good collaboration with the team at Massey University. So that's Nikki Freed and Alan Salander that have been working on these protocols as well. I think they have a team of about three to four uh, that are working on this. So it's a, it's a fairly small team of people uh, that are uh, pulling this off. You are really pulling off something quite extraordinary. Do you feel that? Um, yes, sometimes more than others. <laughs> I do have to say that uh, all of this, um, it is, well, incredible. It is something that I think also speaks to the vision um, that we were able to communicate to the ministry, but also within our own business and to funding agencies that uh, they were also willing to step up to make this possible because you know, setting some of these things up is not necessarily uh, cheap. Um, so I do think that the, the wider environment should not be forgotten when we talk about making this possible. And where does New Zealand sit? Where do you sit compared with the rest of the world in, in the whole genome testing thing at the moment? Yeah, so um, just like we are slightly envied for how we handled our first um, wave, actually um, the referral rates and the amount of sequencing we have been able to do is also quite good. So we've got from the first wave, we've got about 60% of those people we have a genome sequence from. The only other countries that are getting close to those numbers are Australia and England. And I think that reflects that these are countries that took this uh, virus very seriously. And there are countries that have been investing into genomics technologies already. The utility of genome sequencing has really been highlighted in this last outbreak because it's, it's important to do anyway, but it's vital to do when there is no known source because when the epidemiological data runs out, the genomic data is where you you can you can really look at the outbreak at both ends, you know, where it's come from, but also where it's going. And the testing process is fast now, but there are moves to make it even speedier. Yup Delict says there's what he calls a New Zealand vision for infectious diseases where the genomic work can be done in hospitals and research on that is going on right now. That's it today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Yup Delect and Gemma Geegan. Mā te wā.